is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, June 23rd, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenker, working close to Bristol. I think you guys are both at home today, yes? Correct. Foothills of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Exactly. Sarah, yeah, same. Yeah, I'm also in the foothills of Connecticut, I think. I don't know. Nice. I actually don't know the logistics of that, but I think I am. <laughs> or what would define a foothill, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right. We got some uh, the latest round of All-Star voting yesterday, and we found out that Braves, the Braves' Ronald Acuna Jr. and the Angels' Shohei Otani, who are right now probably the front runners to win the MVP in their respective leagues, they were elected as all-star starters, so the fans got it right there. The Braves, the owners of the best record in the National League, lead all teams with seven finalists in the voting, including Acuna, catcher Sean Murphy, shortstop Orlando Arcia, uh, Matt Olson, Ozzie Albies, third baseman Austin Riley, outfielder Michael Harris II, uh, are moving on to the second phase of the voting. We're going to find out here in the next week or so. Who will be all-stars at that uh, at that game in Seattle this year? The Braves played the Phillies yesterday, a crazy game. It was 0-0 through nine innings, and then in the top of the 10th inning, during a Braves rally after they'd taken a 1-0 lead, this happened. 0-1 the count. Here's the pitch. Swung on, line towards left, coming on for it is Schwarber. He's there. Oh, he dropped it. He no, clanked oh. it. Oh, no, and two runs are going to come home and score. Schwarber had gotten there, and it was off his glove. And it's 3-0 Atlanta. What? Somebody. They've just scored at a base hit. Well, that's just. Oh, well. I don't. Obviously, somebody didn't watch. Somebody didn't see what happened. (laughs) He. I don't care what you're doing. You can't even think about calling that a hit. <laughs> that was the call from Sports Radio 94 WIP. The Braves went on to win 5-1 to one in that game. Schwarber acknowledged after the game that, yeah, he should have caught that ball. And Major League Baseball acknowledged the game that the ball should have been caught because they changed that call from a hit to an error. The Braves now have won 15 of the last 17. And in that time, they've hit 35 homers and batted over 300 as a team, the Braves, six games over the Marlins, 10 games ahead of the Phillies, 14 games ahead of the New York Mets. The Royals face the Rays, and before this game, Rays manager Kevin Cash announced that Wander Franco is being benched for two games. Here's Kevin Cash. Wander is not in the lineup tonight. Uh, he will not be in the lineup at least through t- tonight and tomorrow. Um Wander's a really good kid, really good person. Uh, He's a young player that is learning and dealing with the challenges of being a major league player and some of the frustrations that come with it. Over the course of this season, there's been probably multiple times that the the way he has handled his frustrations have not been the way that we ask our players to uphold being the best teammate. That being said, we're going to continue to support Wander as he works through this. I'm personally going to. This organization will. This staff will. Uh, we know that he's a really good kid and look forward to having him back. Really interesting moment for the Rays, who have been the best team in baseball this year. They have the best record, and yet their best player being benched. And it was interesting during uh, his time speaking with the reporters when Kevin Cash talked about all that a lot of that, he was staring right into a camera as if he was trying to speak directly to Wander Franco. Uh, the As I mentioned, they played the Kansas City Royals, arguably the worst team in baseball this year, and Kansas City had a chance to take the lead in the top of the ninth inning. The 1-0 pitch. Melendez bounces it softly up the first baseline. Diaz picks it up. Shovel to Fairbanks. He can't make the catch. It drops next to him. Melendez is safe. Garcia scores. The Royals take the lead. Six to five in the top of the ninth inning. That from 6-10 KCSP. Royals win six to five uh, for the Rays. The biggest concern coming out of the game was Shane McClain having to leave with back tightness right now. He is arguably the best pitcher in the American League, the best pitcher on the planet. The Rays uh, told reporters after the game that they don't think this is a major deal, 
but it's something that has been bothering him. The Diamondbacks have been so great this year. They faced the Nationals in Washington yesterday. It was 2-1, to one, top of the seventh inning. Could tell Marte at the plate. Here's the pitch. Swing, high, fly ball deep to right. Thomas back at the track, looks, and that ball is gone. A massive three-run home run from Cattell Marte, making a dozen on the season. And the Diamondbacks now lead it 5-1. to one. Final score there would be 5-3. to three. That from Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. And during the course of this game, Dave Martinez, the Nationals manager, was ejected after arguing balls and strikes. And it was a, a colorful performance from Dave Martinez. He got down on his knee, and he was uh, pretending he was a catcher, framing up a pitch. Uh, he got his money worth in getting ejected. The Twins signed 2015 Cy Young Award winner Dallas Keuchel to a minor league deal. Uh, he's been working with driveline baseball and trying to increase his velocity. So the twins adding some depth there, Marlins pirates and Henry Davis, number one overall pick a couple of years ago had a milestone moment in his career. Fly ball deep left field. Did he get it? Did he get it? Clear the deck. Cannonball coming. Oh, Henry, his first big league home run. Jumped on it. Soak it in. That's a a swing of the bat that he's never going to forget. You see that smile, well-deserved smile rounding those bases. The Pirates had a 3-1 lead in this game, but you know what? That all went away in the bottom of the eighth. First pitch in the air, fairly deep right center field. Sawinski's on the run. He's got to watch it go. Garrett Cooper, a three-run bomb in the bottom of the eighth inning. The Marlins are punishing the Pirates' bullpen, and they lead 6-4. to four. That would be the final score. Padres, Giants, and Gary Sanchez blew open the game in the top of the first. The fly ball struck pretty well to deep left center field. Back goes Slater. He's at the wall. It's gone. A three-run home run for Gary Sanchez. Well, they make Wood pay for the two walks. They both turn into runs on the three-run shot for Gary Sanchez. On the way to a 10 to nothing victory. Sanchez hitting 214 with the Padres, but nearly half of his hits are home runs. Seven out of 15. The Mariners blew out the Yankees 10 to 2 on Thursday night at Yankee Stadium with the help from some back to back home runs in the top of the fourth. Pitt swinging a well hit ball down the right field line. This one is going to be gone. Goodbye, baseball. Right over the top of the wall in right field down the line. Back to back home runs by Teoscar Hernandez. And now Cal Raleigh. Fourth home run for the Mariners tonight. Holy smokes, the Mariners have broken the bats wide open. And the Mariners now lead the Yankees 10 to nothing here in the top of the fourth inning. What a night for the Mariners' offense. That from Seattle Sports 710 AM. Twins face the Red Sox, and Byron Buxton had himself a day. And the pitch, a swing, a high fly ball, left center field and deep. Back it goes, deep it goes, and way out of here. Whoa, above the bullpen area in left center field. That one even deeper from Byron, two at-bats and two home runs. It is a 5-0 Twins lead. Corey Provis from the Treasure Island Baseball Network, and there were some remarkable numbers with the two home runs that Byron Buxton hit. Sarah Lang's going to tell you about that coming up. And on the mound, Joe Ryan was completely dominant, completely in control. This is what it sounded like in the ninth inning. And the pitch, a swing, a pop fly, left field playable. Willie Castro in the sunshine. He calls, he catches, and the Twins win the game, shut out the Red Sox. And Joe Ryan throws his first career complete game shutout and the first complete game shutout by a Twins pitcher in over five years. The last Twins pitcher to throw a complete game shutout with nine strikeouts and no walks was Johan Santana in 2005. And in the College World Series, uh, the championship is set. After last night's game between LSU and Wake Forest, here's how that game ended in extra innings. will face the Gators in the finals.
Darter, RBIs number 99 and 100 on the season. And Tommy White moves the Tigers into the championship. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we got a new episode of the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse following the NBA draft last night. He's joined by the Tims, Tim Bontemps and Tim McMahon to react to everything, including a big Wizards Warriors trade, swapping Chris Paul and Jordan Poole, Boston's culture changing trade involving Marcus Smart, their favorite draft picks and some interesting draft day moves that could be a sign of big things to come. Check it out. The Hoop Collective, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now or on YouTube. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Rabbit. Carl Ravitch, who, of course, made that uh, game-ending call in the College World Series last night as LSU advances to the uh, championship round of the College World Series against the Florida Gators. Ravi, congratulations on that. How much fun was that game? It was a lot more fun than the call a week prior. I mean, I can tell you that. that, that this game was unbelievable. And, um, look, Buster, you know, you go into baseball games, and on paper, things look good. This one literally delivered. And as we look forward to the All-Star game and the draft in Seattle, we just we saw a lot of the future on the field last night. And we saw two guys on the mound do it very differently. Uh, we had a Paul Skeens guy who is bigger than Roger Clements. I mean, he's the mountain from Game of Thrones. He's huge. And he throws 99, and he's got a six-slider. And then we saw Rhett Lauder, who looks a little bit like Jacob deGrom, and, and pitched. And, yeah, the atmosphere is phenomenal. It's why... This event uh, continues to sort of remind you. It taps you on the shoulder every year to remind you this is this is as good as it gets. Baseball is as good as it gets. And last night, they laid it all on the line. There was a play at first base on a squeezed bunt. The first baseman charged. It was just an amazing play, guy diving. It, it reminded me of Bobby Orr in the 70s when he scored a Stanley Cup winning goal, and he's flying through the air. We, we kind of had that imagery last night, which was really good. So, yeah, last night I, I was fantastic. Carl- Carl, you made the comparisons. I thought of Jeter, you know, like this improvised play with Jeter with the flip play uh, and the playoffs against the athletics. It it felt like that sort of play because you're not practicing that play if you're the first baseman. No, and and the only – and you're right. It it was an ad-lib play to the extent that you didn't know where the bump was going to go. Everything – in this case, had to be perfect. I mean, the butt was good, but it took a perfect hop to a charging first baseman into his glove, and he flipped it like somebody running the option in college football, and it was it was beautiful. Jeter had to go find the baseball. This guy knew where the ball was going to generally be. Um, so, yeah, 
Buster. The athleticism, uh, I'll say this about these guys that are here this year and having done this for 15 years, they just seem a little bit bigger. They seem a little bit more polished. And, and it may just very well be a coincidence that this year all of these top draft picks are here. The three Golden Spikes finalists are all in the final between the two LSU players schemes and their center fielder crews. And of course, this Jack Caglione guy who plays for Florida, who pitches and hits. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a perfect storm, um, but they're just different. And one other thing that will relate to so much of what we talk about. So I, I get on the elevator last night after the game and I see two guys wearing Creighton analytics golf shirts. And there was a ball hit in a TCU game that a kid from Florida uh, Michael Robertson went back to the wall, made an incredible catch. It was another one of those, you know, moments you'll never forget. And I said to those guys, because as soon as that game ended, they tweeted out that the ball that was hit should have been a home run. You know, in a sense, all the ingredients minus the wind added up to a 411 foot shot. The wind killed it, allowed him to make the catch. But I said, so you guys are in analytics. Like, how did you end up getting involved with that? And are you going to pursue this? in the baseball world. And they're two students, you know, or grad students. One of them said, Nope, I'm going to medical school. And the other said, no, I'm going to use it in business. And that's the type of people that this sport, you know, has been living with for years and it continues to infiltrate the game. And they ultimately both said, no, we're doing it because we love baseball. Like if that doesn't swell your heart, I don't know what does. It was really, really neat. Tell me about, okay, you sign off in the show and you look out on the field and you see players on both teams. I'm curious to see what the feeling was after that game like that. You know, just sort of like that, holy. Because it feels like I'm, I'm watching social media and the response is that it was one of those games where someone was going to lose and someone's going to win, but everyone understood after it was over what, uh, you know, in a monumental yeah. game that was. Right. So the third baseman for Wake Forest, uh, Brock Wilkin, who will be a very high draft pick and a tie J.D. Drew for the single season ACC home run record. Uh, I, I saw that he had tweeted out like th- this was maybe the greatest game ever and what a treat it was to be a part of. I, I don't know if it's because of, of my age, but you do look at it through a little bit different lens and I see Skeens and Cruz congratulate themselves, you know, on the win. And you realize, like, somewhere there's a thought bubble. Like, this is just another stepping stone onto ultimately what is our dream of being major leaguers. So while we as fans and broadcasters get caught up in the very moment, and I know the players are so into the game, but 30,000 feet, you are able to step back and realize, and I've said this all the time about postseason baseball, just get in, you know, just be a part of it because you have the ability to tell this story the rest of your life. And yeah, you lost on a walk-off homer or yes, you won your team on a walk-off homer, but you were on a field, you know, in front of 29, 30,000 people with, I'm guessing 2 million people watching because we've had a number like that and it wasn't a game to get into it, um, that you were a part of it. And I think there's a great appreciation from, the guys on the field, the coaches, it was once in a lifetime. It is so hard to get to Omaha. It is so difficult to go through an entire season and then go through regionals and then go through supers and then get here. And the only two teams that were ranked one all year were on the field last night and they played like it. So to be a part of that, that was my observation, how fortunate these guys were Gilly Andrade went to Wake Forest. He was a golfer. He, of course, is a PGA Tour player. And now on the senior tour, he was texting. He said, amazing. Sucks somebody had to lose, but it was amazing. So I'm going to run through what I think your uh, travel schedule is. Uh, of course, you know, today's a, a down day uh, in the College World Series. But then on Saturday, you will broadcast play-by-play for the Gators and LSU. And then on Sunday morning, you'll get on a flight to go to LA because you're doing Dodgers and Astros. And then if the college world series is extended to a third game, you're getting back on a plane to go to Omaha on Monday morning to do uh, game three, potentially of LSU and the Gators. Correct. All of that is correct. And uh, I can do that 
because there are people around me who afford me the opportunity to support me here and support me there. People like you and of course, Coney and Eduardo and Andy Jacobson. And, and look, we have people here who do an amazing job. You know, Kyle Peterson and Chris Burke know this game better than anybody. Ben McDonald's outstanding. Mike Monaco does a great job. So it's, it's an opportunity that I know how fortunate I am to have, but it doesn't work without being able to depend on, rely on, lean on all those around me. But yeah, I mean, similar to those guys on the field last night, I definitely take stock of how fortunate I am to sit in this seat in the same hotel room. I think we've done this for about 10 years because it's the same hotel room every time. And with all due respect to the great Hilton folks here, nothing's ever changed. Like literally nothing's ever changed. Um, so I know how, how lucky I am and I don't take it for granted for one second. Yeah. Well, what amazing experiences you're going to have. Uh, and as I mentioned, we get Dodgers and Astros from Dodger stadium on Sunday night. Uh, two teams, you know, that uh, have won championships in recent years, the Astros last year, the Dodgers in 2020, that look like they're incredibly vulnerable in this moment. Yes. Carl. Yeah. Uh, you know, these two teams that you know, we're not taking it for granted that they're both going to be in the, even in the playoffs. I, I look, you know, we do that animation every, uh, every week before the game, that cartoon, the cartoon, is is kind of it's 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 great to be the kings and these teams have been the kings but when you wear that crown people are coming after you and there are teams coming after these teams and you look at texas and the rangers they look real you know they just don't look like they're going anywhere arizona in the west feels like it's legitimate the giants are kind of knocking on the door reminding everybody uh, he actually has been able to put teams together that do work. You know, what Farhan does in San Francisco to me is is a little bit unique, and I know you could speak to it. It seems like a lot of other organizations, and maybe the Red Sox are one example of a team that's trying to do it like San Francisco, and they haven't yet figured out exactly how to do it. Like the Giants, when you look at them, they just don't have the same talent level that other teams do. And yet between Farhan, Gabe, their front office, they got enough really good pitching. They have good enough players, but they're consistently there. Um, not as good as the Rays as far as wins and losses, but similar. And like, they, they don't go away. You know, they, it's almost like they're gnats, but they're spelled differently and they're spelled giants. They, they, they just kind of are there and, that's going to be a challenge for both the Dodgers, uh, you know, for sure, and the Astros. And, and look, there have been injuries and things and starting pitching that Jordan Alvarez. So there's a lot of other things that are conspiring now against the two teams that, that you know, generally are in the playoffs and getting to at least, you know, league championship series, if not World Series. Yeah, when we talk about the specific uh, vulnerable parts of these teams, the Dodgers, there's no doubt about it. It's the, it's the pitching. We were running through yeah. on our Zoom call yesterday about how statistically they're the worst Dodger pitching staff to this date uh, that we've seen since they moved from Brooklyn to Los Angeles, which is striking to hear that. The idea that Clayton Kershaw would lead the Dodgers by far in innings when we're nearing midseason is kind of incredible to me. And on the uh, Astro side, you made reference to it. Jordan Alvarez being out of the lineup is like Aaron Judge being out of the Yankees lineup. Without Alvarez, it looks very different. And I know there's some hope in the Astros organization. You know, he could be back sooner rather than later. But with an oblique injury, they have to be really careful, especially because of the the context, especially because, look, you've got uh, the, the Astros right now in this absolute steel cage match to make the playoffs in the American League with the Angels, the Yankees, the Orioles, um, yeah, it feels like th th these two teams that we've almost assumed are going to be in the postseason for the last decade are vulnerable. Uh, so which of those teams in your eyes might be in the most trouble? Well, if, you know, if Bueller and May are not coming back, then I think the Dodgers are in bigger trouble. And there are two teams they, you know, they have to jump over. I, I think the Astros are – and by the way, position. the Padres are playing better, Carl. And by the no way, doubt. the two teams that they have to jump in the standings, and the Padres have been playing better. Go ahead. They've been playing much better, and they have more talent uh, than maybe anybody. Uh, I, I think the Astros are in a better position. I think Texas is really good. Uh, I, I think 
the same way that we've come to depend on, rely on, expect the Astros and Dodgers. Look, Bruce Bochy's there for the first time. Uh, you know, they, they need to show that there is an ability to do this for 162. They, they certainly have started that way. Uh, I love I love their middle infield. I love their ability to hit. They've been pitching really well. Um, but I still think the Astros the Astros have talent. It's amazing when you when you look at the Dodgers and the two guys I mentioned, you know, have been hurt. When you think about the Astros, uh, and maybe they didn't expect to have Michael Brantley at all, but they certainly expected to have Jordan Alvarez. When you when you complete these teams, they are going to be in first place or a lot closer to first place than they are. But those are significant injuries, and maybe this year will be the year that we looked at the impact and importance of somebody like Jordan Alvarez or Aaron judge middle of the order bats on good teams that are taken out because of injury and how the rest of the offense cannot consistently get it going. It's incredible to watch the New York Yankees play baseball right now. And it's hard to think that one individual is responsible for kind of an offensive deflating, but that's the case. And yes, Jordan Alvarez is similar. Now, look, the Rangers play without Seager for a while and they managed to get through it all. So roll. Roll. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. I think Houston's in a better place. All right. So on our call yesterday, because we know the backdrop of the relationship uh, between the uh, you know the fan bases uh, are tied to what happened in 2017 with the sign stealing scandal and you know, part of the conversation or Zoom call yesterday was like, well, how do we address that without sort of being feeling like we're just trying to dredge up old information? But Rob Manfred gave us the platform to do that, Carl. With his comments this week, we're in an interview uh, with Time Magazine. He talked about granting the Astros players immunity was, quote unquote, not his best decision. Uh, Manfred said there are some decisions that I would like to have back. I talked to so many people around baseball yesterday who who were basically saying, why is Rob bringing this up now? And I can tell you, there are folks in the Dodgers and Astros organizations who are not, you know, and and really the Astros created the situation. So why worry about them? But the Dodgers are like, why dredge this up now? And why talk about this now? I feel like Rob's trying to have it both ways where he ruled one way and then he's trying to cover himself a little bit and say, well, I kind of wish I went the other way. No, just stop talking about it. It's an ugly chapter in baseball history. What'd you think when you saw Rob's quotes? Uh, look, I was surprised. I think people always, you know, look back on decisions and, and wonder, did I make the right decision? I'm sure it was in response to the question. Um, but I think it's very, it's a difficult pill to swallow. I think he is somewhat acknowledging like, yeah, I may have really, you know, screwed that up. I still look at it though, as, as the same as when a team fires a manager, when it's the player's responsibility, I understand punishing the people who may have, who may have suggested let's do this or come up with the actual blueprint for doing this. And yet the players are the ones that execute it. So the players are the ones that didn't stand up and say, we can't do this. In, in most cases, I know there were certain individuals who said, I'm not going to be involved with this at all. Um, but in the moment, what were you going to do? You know, right. suspend 25 of them. I mean, I, I'm not sure what the, what the look back on and say, uh, I shouldn't have granted them immunity. So, what was the other alternative? What were you going to do that would have satiated that need to punish the player? Um, ultimately, to me, you got what you needed. You got the information you wanted. And let's just, let's leave it six feet under. Let's leave it there. Yeah, I, Carl, I completely agree with you. Even with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, does Rob really think that, you know, yeah, we, we, we should have gone. And by the way, he could have gotten the information about what took place without the player's help. You know, there's been this sort of stance with baseball. Oh, if we didn't get immunity, we would get, wouldn't gotten the story. Oh, yeah, you would have. Because you could have just gone to the coaches on the staff and say, you know what, guys? If you don't talk to us because you're under different rules than the players, if you don't talk to us, then you're going to be kicked out of baseball. And mm-hmm. you would have had people tell them, yeah, uh, this is what's happened. Plus, on top of that, you know, with the information we got, guys, I think it's Tony Adams who had the the first video of the banging of the trash cans. Baseball absolutely would have gotten the information without granting immunity. But to your point, 
if they had taken on that fight with the players, that would have dragged out for months. Do you yeah. know the player association would have defended these guys? So this was the cleanest way for baseball to move past this scandal, put it on the shoulder of Alex Cora, A.J. Hinch, Jeff Luno, and move on. That's the path that, that Rob uh, took. Might not be satisfying for people, but in terms of efficiency, yeah, it was the path that he needed to take. Yeah, like second-guessing opens up Pandora's box to the people who wondered why you did it the way you did it. Again, I, I remember interviewing him for a long time right then and there. Um, and I, I understood the way that it was done. You're right. It's a terrible stain on baseball. It certainly impacts these two organizations forever. Um, you know, I, I think in, you know, years from now, the Black Sox scandal, this is another one of those. I mean, there's no question about it. You know, a world series was won by a team that cheated. I, I it says, it says it's as big a stain as this game has, has ever had. Um, but you, you eventually got, you know, to use a, a, a term that's often used in, you know, movies, you, you got the crooks, you know, you got the guys that were behind the blueprint, you've cleaned it up and it's, it's odd to live in a game in which when we sort of use the idea of, well, we're always looking for the biggest advantage, which means we're really pushing the envelope on rules and we might cheat a little bit every now and then. Like that's this game, which is garbage, but that's this game. Here was another example where you got caught red-handed. You did a good job finding out, uh, you know, the, the background of it. Uh, leave it there. And um, look, he, he's also, he's privy to this whole thing. He's a part of it. His name is going to be associated with this. Yeah, and I actually think his biggest mistake in dealing with this whole thing was uh, not coming down with a hammer in early September of 2017 when you had the Red Sox-Yankee thing. And I wrote a column at the time saying, look, he needs to make it clear this is not acceptable. And yeah. if he had come down and, and, and made an announcement, okay, we're going to you know give this fine to the Red Sox and give this fine to the Yankees. And by the way, if anybody's caught doing this, going to get kicked out of baseball, you and I both know it would have stopped. To me, is the regret that Rob should have over how he handled this. Speaking of leadership, I'm curious about your perspective on what we've seen the last few days with these uh, replay rulings that have come out of New York on home plate collisions, uh, or excuse me, home plate blocking rules. Because yeah. there is a lot of conversation around baseball, people feeling like the decision that went against the Rangers and then went against the Padres they completely lack common sense that they were a literal interpretation of these rules that are on the, on the books. And I heard back from a lot of people with teams saying, uh, look, you don't want precedent to be set with these two calls where all of a sudden the rest of the year, the replay center is going to step in and say, Oh yeah. When the runner was 70, uh, you know, 70 feet away from home plate, the catcher's foot was on, on the, on home plate. And so we're going to say that he blocked the plate illegally to me, the, the, you know, the comparison might be to an NBA official who decided, you know what, we're going to call a foul on every bit of contact we get, right? There has to be common sense in how these rules interpreted. And I hope that someone in baseball tells the, the umpires in the replay room, look, uh, you might have the rule book backing those two decisions on back-to-back days in terms of where the stance was with the catchers, but you got to use common sense. And that Padres call, uh, the runner, the throw beat the runner to home plate by 15 feet, right? And on the other play, Jonah Heim at the Texas Rangers was standing on home plate at the back end with clear access for the runner to the plate, which is why people around the sport were scratching their heads. What was your response to these two calls? Uh, frustration. Um, but I'll give you an example. You know, we're here in Omaha, and common sense and logic doesn't always apply, Buster. So I don't know if you saw it, but there was a play um, here in which you had a runner at second base and a runner at third base. And the ball is hit to the infield, and they start to run the runner back to second base. They had a chance to get him. He was going to be in a rundown. Uh, they got the ball to the guy covering second, and he started to chase the runner going to third base, which was already occupied by a runner. He tags the guy going from second to third. He falls, slips, and slides into the runner standing on third base. He knocks him off the bag, and his glove is on the runner who was on third, and the umpire makes a call. And he 
he, he made this call and you're like, okay, so he called him safe. Um, and the runner, when you look at replay is not on the base. And when you look at the replay, he was forced off the base. And what we come to find out is replay is only there to determine whether he was safe or out. That's it. Not why he was safe or out, but whether he was safe or out. And they recognize he's off the bag. Runner is out. You cannot review the idea that he was pushed off the base. There's no logic in any of that. That doesn't make sense. There's no common sense to it. The man was standing on third base. A guy slid into his legs, forced him off the base. Now you tag him out and he's out. So baseball oftentimes stubs its toe, cuts its legs off. It depends on how significant the moment is in the game. That was a brutal call. Those calls were, were not common sense. And I'm not sure the nuance or the lens in which we can go back. This, this is like, you know, when you steal second base and you call instant replay and in the spirit of the, the game, common sense, he, 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 he lifted his finger off the bag by, you know, an eighth of an yeah. inch. So by rule, he's out, but that's not really what the instant replay was intended for. I'll be honest. My, my opinion about instant replay, if you introduce it, and there is video evidence that whatever rule would apply should be applied. The guy's hand is off the bag. You then have to throw spirit out of the window. I understand it. You understand it. But spirit has to be thrown out because there's factual evidence. This is, this is analytics on a video review level. We have facts. His hand's off the bag. He's out. I understand that's not what the spirit is. We can't consider spirit. We can't because we introduce this stuff. The idea that there's a clear path to home absolutely is what the spirit is. That's the whole rule. If he's got a clear path, we're not blocking home. So why are we making that call? And if it's too literal, then you're going to have to revisit it because it doesn't make sense. And as we always go to, Buster, we always go in a playoff game, you really want that? Like that's going to happen. That's the, that's the door that's been open. And it's a real, a real prickly opportunity here that we hope never, you know, never happens, but it might. Yeah. And that's what one official said to me. Does major league baseball want a uh, playoff game decided by the, the similar play to what we saw with Jonah Heim, where he clearly did not beat the runner's path, the home plate. And, you know, that wound up uh, costing the Rangers that game. Uh, 60 seconds before you go, Wander Franco yesterday essentially suspended for two games, you know, technically benched for two games by the Tampa Bay Rays. That was eye-opening for a team having a great season, him in theory being the leader of the team. Because you and I know if a team benches a guy for one game, okay, that's not necessarily unusual. Two games, they're trying to get his attention. Yeah, look, I I can do this in 10 seconds. I have no problem with it. If if they deem an action or an attitude of a player to be such, and we're having a great season, this is nobody's above the law. I have no problem with it. I I applaud it. I don't think there's enough accountability in this game. I think there's a level of entitlement, and I'm not saying Franco is an entitled player, but this is a recurring theme uh, in our society. You screwed up take a seat. It's always been part of baseball. And I think good managers who have the respect of a clubhouse tend to do those things and they get the blessing of the front office. And sometimes they don't even need it. This is who I am. This is how I want my team to behave and act. I have no problem with it. And you and I both know in 2023, when a manager, a coach does something like that, he's also got the de facto blessing of the clubhouse. He's essentially there. There's no way that a manager coach is doing something like that unless other players agree. I think we saw it with Tyler O'Neill and Ollie Marmol earlier this yep. year. All right, Carl, uh, congrats on last night's game and uh, enjoy the, the final. All right, see you soon. Thanks, Buster. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. 
Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. You're back from the uh, Major League Baseball draft combine that was out in Arizona. Uh, and, and I thought this was interesting. As I was going through the rundown today, Sarah, Taylor, uh, who I can't remember another time when he like, gave me some suggested topics for you and the way that he did today, what he wrote is, is Sarah out there watching prospects with their binoculars, stopwatch, and a notepad, scouting players, maybe offering some professional advice to interested evaluators, and then three question marks so that it, you, you know how important this was for Taylor. When I saw it, I was like, man, he is fired up to hear from Sarah and to imagine Sarah's like some figure in the movie Moneyball watching these combines. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm honored that you think of me that way, Taylor. I mean, I know I know you probably can't smoke in the stadium, but I also have this vision of you like a cigarette dangling out of your mouth, like very old time. You're probably wearing a visor. I don't know why, but that seems to make sense to me. But you're one of the best baseball minds out there, Sarah. I feel like people, you're probably coming up to you being like, what do you think about this guy? And, you know, you can give them your, your thoughts, but also those thoughts shouldn't be free, I don't think. So, you know, I also envision maybe, maybe some money exchanging hands. This is all me. This is what I'm envisioning, not actually what happened, but... <laughs> Very, yeah. very funny to think about. Oh, my goodness. Far, far too kind. <laughs> a little bit off from what actually happened, but sounds like an interesting uh, movie or sketch or something for sure. But it was really fun. I mean, as I said on Wednesday, seeing the excitement of these kids, prospects, some of them obviously adults, college kids as well, and seeing what they could do, you know, I mentioned on Wednesday about Kemp Alderman hitting that, uh, you know, 111 mile an hour off the bat, 443 foot home run. There have only been seven longer home runs by big leaguers at Chase Field this year. Obviously, we're talking about BP. There are some differences, but a really interesting comparison. And then on Wednesday, something that really stood out was a prospect named Cole Craig. Uh, ripped off, I believe, three different throws of 100-plus mile an hour, one of them from shortstop, two of them from the outfield. I believe he hit 102. He also did drills at catcher. We didn't get numbers for that, but if he's throwing 100 as a shortstop and as an outfielder, you have to imagine behind the plate is pretty impressive as well. It's really cool to see. I was also really impressed by Deuce Robinson, who is a top football recruit, is going to USC, but he was there wanting to show off what he could do as a baseball player. He came back from, I believe, USC spring camp in order to do this. And uh, what an athlete. It was really interesting. And now I'm excited to watch him play college football, too. So just really, really fun event. So many talented draft prospects. And for me, I don't usually have the time during the season to really prep for what to expect from the draft just because we have 15 games a day and so much going on in MLB. But doing this event the last three years, it's really been a good primer for me to get ready for the draft, which I'm really excited for in Seattle. So you've seen the movie Trouble with the Curve, right? Clint Eastwood's is the baseball scout, Amy Adams, his daughter, who and Clint Eastwood's losing his eyesight as an old baseball scout and Amy Adams, cause she followed him around as a little girl 
Uh, she she could recognize players and she helps them scout. I'm seeing your face. You didn't see that movie? I am not seeing most movies. I feel like we've discussed this. I do know the plot. I've heard of that one because it's a baseball movie, but I am very woefully uh, unlearned on the uh, movie front. Yeah, so despite the fact you just rolled out all the statistics and information, I, I think that Taylor has a vision of you being like the Clint Eastwood character, right? You know, sucking down brewskis at the end of the day. Uh, but I'd say this. I think the odds are that during the combine, you never use the word hitterish. Right? I did not. I did not. <laughs> Taylor, is that, is that what you're trying to say? You're thinking that she's like Clint Eastwood in that movie? Oh yeah, that's a, that's a great comp buster. Look at us making movie comps. I mean, baseball comps. It's so much evaluating going on in the podcast. It's great. Very nice. Oh All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is eight. So we have a really exciting series coming up, uh, starting tonight between the Braves and Reds. Certainly not one you were circling entering the year. We with the Reds on an 11 game win streak, the Braves on an 8 game win streak. And I was shocked to see this. It is only the seventh time in MLB history that two teams will open the series, both entering on 8 game win streaks or longer. It happened in 2021 with the Braves and Yankees. And then before that, 1975. With the A's and the White Sox. Before that, 1906 with the Giants and Cubs. Then we have 1901 Pirates and Phillies. And then we go back pre 1900 with the 1889 Reds and the St. Louis Browns. And then the 1884 St. Louis Maroons and the Washington Nationals. Of course, not those Nationals. This has been the year of the St. Louis Maroons. I just need to put that out there. We were talking about them with the Rays early in the year, and they're back again. But only the seventh time we've seen two teams on win streaks this long facing off. Really, really exciting to see. Number two. Number two is 460. So yesterday, Byron Buxton, Hit a 466 foot home run and then followed it up with a 465 foot home run. And if anyone was not keeping up, I'm going to just preface now. They were at home. They were not at Coors Field. If that's your next question, he became the first player with two 460 foot home runs in the game tracked by Sackhouse, which goes back to 2015. We know he has that power when he's healthy, when he's all there. It's really exciting to see, but you never know what's going to happen on a, uh, you know, a small slate Thursday. We got Byron Buxton, two 460 foot home runs. Number one. Number one is 10. So on Wednesday, Shohei Otani had, I believe, 12 strikeouts. That was his 15th game with at least 10 since the start of last season. That's four more than anyone else in the majors in that span. He's also hit 58 home runs in that same span where he has racked up 15 games with 10 strikeouts. And just as a little summary, he currently leads the majors in OPS, slugging, home runs, tied for the RBI lead, and he leads an opponent batting average. He's third in strikeouts as a pitcher. He's doing things we haven't seen. He's one-upping what he did last year. It's absolutely incredible. All right. Uh, I want to ask you first about your guy, Mookie Betts, announcing that uh, if he gets voted to the All-Star team, he's going to be in the home run derby. It's pretty much a fait accompli that's going to happen. Uh, you know, when I when I heard that, I thought, well, that's awesome that Mookie's doing it. And my second thought was like, there's no way he can win. Like I saw Alex Bregman when the year he did it, 
those moderate size guys. I'm going to talk to Mookie about this this weekend. Those guys who are not big thumpers and can't hit the ball out when they they don't hit it clean. Uh, I think they have a big advantage in this event. What did you think when you heard Mookie's doing this? I was so excited. You know, I wish it could have been at Dodger Stadium last year, but obviously anywhere is so, so exciting. I can't wait to see what he can do. You know, we tend to expect guys to do what we see in games and then maybe amplified a bit. But often, as you know, these guys have totally different approaches in BP. So I'm really excited to see what he can uh, bring to the table. And it's just going to be so much fun. He's so much fun. I can't wait for all of the lead up. Hopefully his daughter will be there uh, running around on the field. That's my favorite part of the Derby, all the little kids out there. So I'm really excited. I mean, Mookie Best doing this is so good for the game. I really, really am for that. Yeah, uh, Aaron Judge won the Derby, what, in 2006-17, and he's 6'7 and 282 pounds. And Mookie Betts is 5'9 plus, I think, uh, maybe a little bit over that. I remember never forget John Farrell, uh, the former Red Sox manager, telling me that when Mookie was coming through minor leagues, he always heard, wow, Mookie Betts, boy, he's got power. Man, Mookie Betts is mashing the ball. And he just heard his name a million times. And then he showed up the next spring training for an exhibition game. And John Farrell looked at Mookie at five foot nine. was like, that's Mookie Betts. Really? He couldn't believe it. So it'll be fun. And, uh, and I love the fact that he's trying. You're right. It'll be great for baseball that, you know, players of all sizes will be in the Derby this year. Before you go, we have Dodgers Astros this weekend. I asked Carl Ravitch the question, which of these traditionally uh, traditional, uh, you know, powers in their respective leagues is more vulnerable in your eyes in terms of making the playoffs, Dodgers or Astros? It's a really good question. I mean, right now they're both more vulnerable than we've seen in a while. I am really believing in the Diamondbacks right now. So I Mm -hmm. feel like I might go with the Dodgers just because of the bullpen issues. But I guess if we're doing math, and again, we kind of did this with the Braves last week, the Astros probably have a tougher path, even with the wild cards in that uh, league. So maybe it's the Astros in terms of making it. But I think the team-wise, I'm a little more concerned about the Dodgers. All right, Sarah. Well, good to talk with you as always. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen at ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, ToddRadom.com. Todd, how you doing? Good morning, Buster. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. It feels like we're spanning the globe from this little office here today because we talked to Carl Ravitch, who... You know, on one day he's in Omaha, and then he's going to go to Los Angeles. He's going back to Omaha. We know that we have the weekend uh, series between the Cubs and the Cardinals in London. Uh, you know, announcements about different uh, ballpark or different ball games in different parts of the country, like in Alabama. You know, we had the Field of Dreams game in recent years, which leads me to this question: If you could put a ball game, uh, major league game, in one town, in one city. Anywhere in the world where it hasn't been before, where would that be? Wow, Buster, this is a great question. And I've got a a couple of things that immediately come to mind. Uh, Baseball trying to grow the MLB part of baseball internationally. They've done a pretty good job in London. They are kind of playing a long game. But I've got a couple of places. Number one, having just been in Korea, a Major League Baseball regular season game in Korea would be Absolutely unbelievable. Um, Again, there just about a month and a half ago, uh, they speak baseball over there, but it's not about building the game there so much. So number two, which probably vaults to the number one slot, would be Rotterdam in the Netherlands. And I've got a couple of reasons for saying this. First and foremost, as you know, and as most of our listeners know, the Netherlands has produced a pretty good WBC team And there is a baseball culture that exists over there. Rotterdam, in particular, hosts a club called Neptunus. Neptunus, 
looks like the New York Yankees. And there's a reason for this, Buster. And the reason is that after World War II, the New York Yankees donated some equipment, including uniforms, I believe, to this local baseball club. And the Neptunus program has continued to produce young baseball players since then. I've got personal friends, good friends that I've known for many years, whose kids have graduated through the Neptunus program. I know a couple of players. So give me Rotterdam. Let's do it. Let's go. Road trip. Okay. I've got, how about the military base, our military base in Germany? You know, I, I did the game. Uh, was part of the broadcast at Fort Bragg since named Fort Liberty in North Carolina. I thought that was phenomenal. And to see the the response of the of the, uh, the servicemen there was tremendous. And it would be pretty cool to bring, you know, a couple of game series to, uh, you know, to, to our military base in Germany. That would be a lot of fun. Does that make sense? Makes absolute total sense. I think it's a little bit of a different thing. You having done that uh, game at Fort Bragg, Fort Liberty now, uh, it's kind of a closed off, walled off situation. Uh, a great thing to do it for our men and women in service, but a different animal than bringing it to uh, a group of people who, you know, uh, trying to grow the game internationally. But but that would be pretty awesome. Ramstein Air Force Base, something like that. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And what was cool about you know when they redid that ballpark at Fort Bragg. Uh, is that they left behind, you know, this major league uh, caliber field for folks on the base to use, for folks in the community to use. And I don't, I, you know, I, I don't pretend to know exactly how it's been used since then, but I, I thought that was a, a cool thing that, uh, you know, something that major league baseball left behind. All right. Speaking of being left behind, let's talk about this week's forgotten field. All right, Buster, long before they became baseball's greatest dynasty, the franchise that we now know as the New York Yankees played their home games in the Washington Heights neighborhood of Upper Manhattan. Officially known as American League Park, their ballpark was commonly referred to as Hilltop Park, owing to its location on the west side of Broadway between 165th and 168th Streets, one of Manhattan's highest points. In an era when many teams still didn't have official nicknames, this club became known as the Highlanders, partly because of their ballpark's location. The New York franchise was hastily put together, rising from the ashes of what was previously the Baltimore Orioles. Team owners looked at a variety of potential playing sites, including Flushing, Queens, not far from today's city field, as well as several sites in Harlem and the Astor Estate at 161st Street and Jerome Avenue in the Bronx, the future site of Yankee Stadium. But they entered into a 10-year lease with the New York Institute for the Blind and got to work. Hilltop Park was a no-frills affair, constructed in only six weeks, which included a painstaking excavation of the exceptionally rocky site. It literally, Buster, had a swamp in right field. Mm -hmm. On March 14th, 1903, the New York Tribune published a photo of what the site looked like, describing the, quote, trees, some more than two feet in circumference, which dot the field at frequent intervals. At 16,000 seats, Hilltop Park was large for its time, and the views were spectacular. Seats in the top row behind home plate and along the third baseline offered up a scenic view of the Hudson River and the New Jersey Palisades beyond the grandstand and away from the field. These early Yankee teams offered up a mixed bag on the field, finishing in second place in 1904, 1906, and 1910. On the other hand, they lost 103 games in 1908 and 102 games in 1912, the only seasons in franchise history that the team suffered triple-digit defeats. When the New York Giants' home, the Polo Ground, burned down in 1911, they moved into Hilltop Park for two months. With the original lease on the land expiring in 1913, the Highlanders began looking at other options. In 1910, team owners purchased a tract of land at Broadway and 225th Street, intending, intending to build a concrete and steel double-decker stadium. The site was plagued with a host of issues, not the least of which was the fact that the future playing field was bisected by a stream, which flowed into the Harlem River, which the New York Times described as practically underwater. The outfield was to have been comically huge buster with news reports staying, quote, the outfield fences will be so far from home plate that it will be impossible to bat the ball out of the park. 
the distance from home plate to the center field fence would be more than 300 yards, which Buster, we're talking 900 feet to center field. Can you imagine? (laughs) Work stopped and started on the property over the next few years, but the team now almost universally called the Yankees signed a lease with the Giants to play their home games at the Polo Grounds starting in 1913. They remained there until they finally constructed a new stadium in the Bronx, which opened 100 years ago this year in in 1923. As for Hilltop Park, it was demolished in 1914. The site is now New York Presbyterian Columbia University Irving Medical Center. In 2018, officials unveiled a plaque marking the location of what was the New York Yankees' first home plate, a fitting tribute to Hilltop Park, which is this week's Forgotten Field. So, Todd, I would have guessed that having a, a tree in the outfield might be disqualifying uh, it, a disqualifying <laughs> figure in a possible ball field. Having many trees, right? <laughs> I, I can't even imagine what that looked like. Can you imagine the player association? Would they have a problem with that today? That they suddenly were growing trees out in outfields? I would think so. You remember chain link fences back in the 60s and 70s, particularly like, yeah. you know, when we were growing up in the 70s, and that was bad enough. Guys getting their cleats, you know, in, in, in stuck in the chain link fence, a tree in center field. But then again, listen, we had Towels Hill in Houston not that long ago. We had a flagpole in center field. We had the monuments in center field at, at Yankee Stadium in our lifetime. So a tree in the outfield you know, could be a nice natural attribute. Hit the tree, win a free suit, something like that. Yeah, and we're whining about six inches of concrete in the outfield at at Dodger Stadium, right? They used to have trees and (laughs) and flagpoles and and monuments. Boy. Back in my day. Yeah. Yeah. Player safety, not a priority for a long period of time. I think we can conclude that. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, first of all, here we go. We're at week 16. So it's getting early, late, or late, early, or whatever Yogi said. And uh, the standings are pretty tight because Sarah and Buster with six wins on the season and Taylor not too far behind at four. So anybody can win it. It's wide open. So here we go. Week 16. Since the Seattle Mariners joined Major League Baseball in 1977, they have defeated this club more often than any other. Is it A, the Angels? Is it B, the Athletics? Is it C, the Rangers, or D, the Orioles? The Mariners have defeated this club more often than any other opponent since they joined the American League in 1977. Angels, A's, Rangers, Orioles. Sarah, you want to go first? No, but I'll go first. (laughs) Um, I'm thinking it's either the Angels or the A's. So I'm going to go Angels. Okay. Kelly, you're going to go with the Orioles, your favorite team? Indeed, I am. They've been bad for many, many years. I'm sure the Mariners have beat up on them more than once. So let's go, Orioles. All right. Strategically, I, I, and first off, I don't really know the answer, but strategically, that answer doesn't make sense to me because, of course, the Orioles are in the American League East. Mm-hmm. The, you know, but uh, maybe that's part of uh, Todd's genius here is to trick us into that wrong answer. I'm, I'm with Sarah. I'm going to go Angels. You are all incorrect because it is the Oakland Athletics. 233 wins against this ball club to date. I mean, it might be, but anyway, they are, yeah, it's the Athletics. So we hold serve this week. Okay. Well, next week I'll take it over. (laughs) Thanks, Todd. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster Bleacher tweets for a Friday. Hillel Armbarn Kreef writes in first. I think Armbarn is a cute name. Nothing to do with PETA. Thanks for clearing that up, Hillel. Uh, second, with the Central Division in both leagues being so weak, is this what will drive ble- baseball to a different format? What would be stopping them? Yeah, I think this goes in ebbs and flows. Generally, when you're talking about the two divisions in the Central and the West, sometimes you get weaker divisions out there. I mean, typically the American League East is always strong. Uh, and I think that, uh, that the realignment that we're going to see is going to happen with two expansion teams is pretty much locked in stone. I think you're going to see eight divisions of four teams like you have in the NFL. There you go. Chris Trenton at Trent 2316 writes in with the Rockies out of it and most likely being sellers. Could the Yankees consider Chris Bryant for some outfield and offensive help? He has a relationship with Rizzo and knows how to play in big games for a big market team. Chris, I like how you're thinking because I do agree with you that the Yankees need help. 
Uh, but I think there's no chance they trade for Chris Bryant because he's owed a lot of money at the time. We talked about this at the time he signed with the Rockies. People with other teams were befuddled by the Rockies' decision to invest that much money in him because it's been a while since he's been a you know an elite player. So no, that uh, that's not going to happen. Don't hear about. I remember those conversations. You don't hear a lot about Chris Bryant these days. Nope. Uh, Michael Tazlitz with the last one of the week. Uh, the calendar is quickly stacking up against the Padres. They are eight and a half games behind the Diamondbacks and five games out of the wild card race. Can management trade those big contracts for prospects to try and salvage something from the season? What value could they get back? Yeah, I think if they would trade somebody, the most likely guy would be Juan Soto, who's not signed to a long-term deal. He's a free agent after next year. But look, five games out of the wildcard race, that's hardly something that you can't overcome. Uh, I keep on bringing up the examples. In recent seasons in Major League Baseball, 2019, the Nationals look terrible uh, this time of year. The Phillies in 2022, the Braves in 2021, you know, the Braves are barely a 500 team in 2021 about now, and they wound up winning the World Series. So I still think there's time for the Padres to come back, and they are playing much better of late. Juan Soto on fire right now. A lot of fun to watch, at least. There you go. Bleacher tweets, hashtag Bleacher tweets over the weekend. We will be back on Monday. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Ravi, Sarah, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and remember, hate and inequality based on skin color, something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.